If you came with your Bibles today, you perhaps have your pocket Bible, which is sometimes known as a cell phone. We like to call them pocket Bibles around here. Because if you go to BibleGateway.com or to the U version of the Bible app, the Bible and Scripture is always there. Or if you brought a um, Bible with you, our text today is from Esther in the Old Testament, chapter 4. I will be looking at the entire chapter. We are in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. We're talking about how the Ten Commandments affect our everyday living. We've been looking at it over the summer. As Pastor David mentioned, we're getting ready to start our Jesus series that's going to start in two weeks. But today we are in the Ninth Commandment. It's also found, specifically the Ninth Commandment, is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. The commandment is very simple and straightforward. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Tell the truth. That's why we're calling our message today, Why Truth Matters. We've all been victims of somebody saying something, either a half-truth or something untrue about us. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We've all been victim of somebody saying a half-truth or something not true about us. Amen? Amen? Now here's the other part. We've all been guilty ourselves of not being 100% honest. Amen? Amen? That's what today's message is about. Honesty, truth, learning to speak up, learning to speak the truth. When do we speak and when do we stay silent? Therefore, for a Bible story because I love the book of Esther. I like to say it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, but I say that about every book of the Bible, and Esther is one of my favorite stories, but they're all great. The story of Esther, however, is an amazing story. It's timeless. Now, if you're watching Jeopardy someday, and the question comes up, or the answer is, this book of the Bible never mentions God, the question is, what is Esther? God's never mentioned in the book of Esther. However, God is all through the book of Esther. So God's action and God's providence, God's work is all there. It gets me thinking about how we testify to our faith, how we live out as Christians. You see, sometimes we think the only way to share the gospel is by saying something. It's important why truth matters. It's important for us to testify and speak the words of our faith. But it's also how we live, and that's what Esther is about, is how we live, because our actions also speak to what we believe, do they not? What you and I live, how we live before others just like we talked about the light, is how others see what it is to be a Christian. And hopefully, we become that fragrance, that positive fragrance that Paul talks about in Corinthians, so that our good works are seen not as self-reflective, but as God-reflective. Well, the story of Esther is a time when the nation of Israel has been taken captive by the Babylonians. What happened is as a nation, they were disobedient and there had been these Middle Eastern wars and eventually the great nation of, of Babylon came in and the people were carried off into captivity. However, in the ancient world, these ancient empires came and they went and so you have the Babylonians, you have the Medes, you have the Persians, the Egyptians, the Greeks and now what's happened is the Babylonians have been defeated by the Persians. So these people that have been taken into captivity went under one nation, and now they're under another nation. And now it's time for the king to look for a queen. 
And so what happens in the first couple chapters, you're introduced to this woman, Esther. She's a young Jewish woman who her parents had died. She's being raised by a relative. His name is Mordecai. Some call him Mordecai. We'll call him Mordecai today. And Mordecai is a relative. He probably is an uncle. We don't know specifically what he is, but he's raised this young woman, and she's beautiful. Beautiful on the inside and beautiful on the out. And when it comes time for choosing a queen, Esther becomes a queen. So this Jewish woman living in a nation where they are captive is now the queen of Persia. There's a problem, however. She hasn't told anybody about her faith. Nobody knows that she's Jewish. So the king just assumes that this is just another one of the women in the empire and never finds out at this point who she is. That takes you pretty much to chapters 1 and 2. Then chapter 3 comes along and you're introduced to this guy named Haman. The king is the most powerful person, but Haman is his right-hand man. Haman is kind of like the bad boss. Have you ever had a bad boss, amen? Okay, we're not taking pictures or numbers here, but if we've ever, anybody's ever had a boss who's a little bit too much ego, I like to call ego easing God out, where the person thinks they're a little bit better and too much than they are, Sometimes those who are in control can expect a little too much, and that's what Haman does. Haman comes along and he says, everybody has to bow down to me. Literally, bow down to him. There's a problem with that. Same problem that we would have. We bow to no one but God. Amen? Amen. We bow to God. We don't bow to human beings and somehow exalt them. And so Mordecai, this Jewish, faithful Jewish man, Haman comes by, everybody bows down. He goes, not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm a person of faith. The problem is Haman doesn't like that. He kind of gets ticked off. What do you mean you're not bowing down to me? So he inquires about him and he discovers the guy's Jewish and he goes, ah, that's the problem. So what Haman does is he devises a plan to exterminate the Jews. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This book, the book of Esther, is one of the most beloved texts in modern-day Judaism, especially because of the Holocaust. It became a book of encouragement and comfort to know that God is sovereign in control when somebody's trying to do ethnic genocide. And so what happens is this guy Haman goes to the king, lies, deceives, makes up stories, tells half-truths, a decree goes out, and now the decision is that everybody who's Jewish is going to die an opportunity to get rid of an entire group of people. So Mordecai realizes that God isn't going to let this take place, and he sees the sovereign hand of God, again, without even naming God, he realizes, you know what, isn't it interesting how things have all come together? We've all had this in our life. We're in the midst of something, and we look at it, and we say, Wow, isn't it interesting why this happened and this happened and this happened and look where I am right now and Mordecai realizes that Esther's the queen. Wow, isn't God good? God's already provided the path. All the queen has to do is go and talk to her husband and has to tell the truth, set everything straight and that's where we come into chapter 4. And here's what we start to learn. Lies hurt people. Amen? Half-truths hurt people. Deception is not good. We can't just go through life and, and make up our own version of the truth and think that somehow that's not going to do damage. It hurts the person who lies, but it also hurts others. 
We're told in verse 1 that when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he learns now that because he's been a faithful person and honoring God and not bowing down to a person, and all this transpired, now they're going to exterminate everybody who is of the same faith in him. He tore his clothes, he put on burlap, and he put ashes all over his head. He went into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. A plot literally to wipe out the Jewish race had been based on lies and was beyond hurtful. You see, power and ego lead to prejudice, and prejudice can lead to deceit, and deceit hurts people. And that's the problem that happens. When we somehow start getting in our head, or others get in their head, or people in power get in their head, and start thinking that they're all that matters, no truth matters, God's word matters, People matter, and when we start marginalizing individuals, we start seeing what happens in the book of Esther. Dishonesty does more damage than we can imagine in our world. That doesn't just mean when those people out there are dishonest, that means when we're dishonest. As my mother used to say, when you point your fingers, remember what's pointing back. Three. This is about us. It's about me learning to be honest. It's about us learning to be people of integrity. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19. It's funny, I I first discovered it when I was in Bible college, and I was reading through Proverbs, and I went to Regina, who I was dating at the time, and I said, honey, look at this great proverb. Of course, she quotes it back to me any time I said, oh, I didn't mean that. She always quotes it back, because it says, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is someone who deceives someone else and says, I was only joking. So anytime I say to Regina, oh, well, that's not really what I meant, she goes, remember that proverb you taught me years ago from the Bible? We don't have that option. We can't just say, well, my intentions were to tell the truth, and, well, I'm sorry I hurt somebody by what I say. No, our words matter. Truth matters. Lies hurt people. Deception hurt people. The image in the book of Proverbs is of a crazy person taking arrows that are burning on the end. We've seen it in all the old movies, and they they shoot them at a time of war. Only this person is just shooting them towards thatched houses, not having any idea how much of the town is going to burn down. It's a reason why Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no integrity and being a person of our word and being honest and being able to take responsibility if we've misled someone, even if we haven't intentionally done it, to be able to be people of honesty. My mom, years ago, used to help with children's messages. My dad was a pastor, and my mom had all these wonderful children's messages that she liked to do. And she used to say to me, her favorite one was the one about the toothpaste. What she would do is she'd take a tube of toothpaste, and she'd take a piece of paper, and she'd bring the kids of the church up, and she'd take the toothpaste, and she'd squeeze it right out on the, on the paper. And she'd say, kids, that's like our words. They're gooey, and they stick to stuff. But you know what else? You can't put them back in the tube. That's why our words matter. That's why honesty and integrity is an important thing. In the New Testament, Paul is looking at the early church, And he gives them and us advice as churches of, okay, what do you do if somebody starts to be dishonest? Do you engage every fight? This is good advice for people who go on social media, too. You go to All Things Plymouth. There's your first mistake. 
No, your first mistake was you turned your phone on. Your second th mistake was you turned on Facebook. And your third mistake is you went to All Things Plymouth. And you think you're going to have a positive day, and all of a sudden you see all this negative stuff there, and you want to engage. Well, I think Paul has something to say about it. It's written to churches and to Christians. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Hear what Paul's saying? If we engage every fight and we engage every argument, we're giving fuel to the fire. That is not a Christian thing to do. So as we're talking about truth, do not hear that Pastor Sand says that every time I hear somebody say something that's wrong, I need to go out and argue with them and fight with them and I get the blessing of my church. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is we need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves and understand that sometimes the best thing to do is just to move on, just to keep our mouths shut. Because lies hurt people, but if all we do is keep the argument and the fight going, more people are going to get hurt. And then we'll find ourselves saying and doing things we don't want to do and looking at ourselves and saying, how did I engage here? But here's the other thing. There's times to speak. There's times to keep our mouths quiet. It takes wisdom and discernment. But there's one thing that should never motivate us, and that's our fear. Far too often, we work out of fear. And we live out of fear. And that is not healthy. In fact, fears keep lies alive. If I'm acting out of fear rather than out of faith, I'm not living the life that God wants me to live. When I'm living out of integrity and knowing that I'm living the way I should live, I can face my fears with faith. But if I'm just being fearful and, and worried about what's going to happen and what somebody's going to say about me, that is not learning that you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. That's called being a not very Christ-centered, spirit-filled Christian. Verses 10 and 11, Esther relayed this message to Mordecai. Because here's what's taken place. Mordecai has sent a message to Esther and has said, Hey, Queen Esther, do you think maybe there's a reason why you're there? You can go talk to the king. You can stop this madness and craziness. And now Esther says, almost whining, I don't know if I can whine, but I'll try. You know, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that if anyone appears before the king in this manner in his inner court without being invited is doomed and will die. In fact, unless the king holds out a golden scepter, and he's not done that for me for the last month, I can't go in and have a word. Now, there's something wrong with that text. There's no evidence from the ancient world that the kings were going around killing queens because they walked into the court. What she's saying is, I'm afraid. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have a tough conversation. I'm not comfortable with that conversation. Why, if I don't follow everything exactly right and do everything perfectly, I will get in trouble. Therefore, big, not my problem. She was afraid. And fear caused Esther to lose her voice. Do we hear that, folks? If we live out of our fear, we lose our voice. We quit being the people that we are. 
We cannot go through life being fearful and allowing our fears and our concerns. We need to face our fears. We need to be acknowledging them. We need to be truthful about the things that cause us concern. But if we simply just go through life and become fearful, we become like Queen Esther and everything becomes not my problem. And that means the truth doesn't matter because we go along with everything. And if we go along for everything, we stand for what? Nothing. This can happen to us. There's times when we need to face our fears. You shall not give false witness, false testimony against your neighbor. The opposite of giving false testimony is being honest. And there are ways to be honest with people. Years ago, I learned some fun little sayings, and then over the years, I just have adapted them all. And people say, where do you come up with your sayings? I don't know. I've heard them all somewhere. One of the first ones I remember was a good friend of mine said, whenever you're having a tough conversation, remember the four F's. Firm, fair, frank, and friendly. Put it another way. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't be mean when you're saying it. It's about learning to find our voice. That's what Queen Esther needed to do. She had a responsibility. Remember that turn of events? It wasn't just coincidental. God was working and everything was in place and we do know the end of the story. It does all work out, but that's because God is sovereign. And when we can see how God is working or not see it, but trust that God is working, then we can have the confidence that we don't have to go through life with fear. But here's the thing. False testimony isn't only saying something that's not true. Sometimes it's keeping our mouth shut when we shouldn't be keeping our mouth shut. And everybody assumes that we are saying and believing something we don't believe. But we're uncomfortable and we don't want to open our mouth. I was a young pastor, probably 23, 24 years old. I was at a clergy meeting. And all the pastors were old. Now today, I would say they were all young, but back then, I thought they were all old. They were probably in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. There was a district superintendent, my boss, who was in the room. There was a former district superintendent in the room. And they all started to talk about something that I 100% disagreed with. And it was obvious that I was the minority voice of one. And as I sat there and they were talking... I thought, oh, this is interesting. And pretty soon I realized, if I don't say anything, they all think I agree with them. And I prayed, and I gathered a little courage, and I, I've never been known to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I didn't. And I said, I have something I want to say. And I laid out my belief and my position. Do you know how many people I convinced that day of my position? Zero. But you know what I did do? I made some really good friends. And I had a guy who came up to me afterwards, a guy who was a former district superintendent, and he said, wow, I've never thought of that before. I disagree with you, but I really appreciate your willingness to speak up. I had lifelong friends that came out of that discussion. One who years later referenced back and said, remember, Stan, when you spoke up? He said, I really admired that. You see, we have a voice, folks. God gave us a voice. Sometimes if all we do is just keep our mouth shut and act like we agree with everybody else, we are not doing God's work. It's important not to be divisive. It's important to learn how to have the tough conversations, but it's also important to realize you and I matter and God works in our hearts and there is a time for us to speak. And that's why Esther is so wonderful. 
Because it starts helping us see that balance of how do I manage these hard conversations? How do I understand that truth matters? And yet at the same time, there are times when I just become part of the problem if I'm just arguing with people and not doing anything other than keeping an argument going. Well, here's where it kind of starts to come together. God created us to tell the truth. When you and I were created by God, we were created to be truth-tellers. If we go back and we read the Bible and we find the first sin, it's about lies and deception. Hear that? God created Adam and Eve to tell the truth, to be honest, to be forthright in the things that they say. And what happens is in the garden... Along comes Satan, and the snake starts twisting things a little bit, and pretty soon they're told, you can't eat this fruit, but it turns into you can't eat or touch it, but God never said that. So right away, when you start reading the story, you start realizing the real thing that's happening here is lack of truth and lack of honesty, and deception starts coming in. That's not who you were created to be. That's not who I was created to be. If I'm getting my way by manipulating and not telling the truth and telling half-truth, I'm not doing God's work. I can't turn around and say, Lord, bless me for being a manipulative, dishonest person. At least I'm doing your will. But far too often, Christians seem to almost act that way. And the truth is, we're created to tell the truth. Amen? Amen? We are called to be people of integrity and honesty. In verses 13 and 14, Mordecai sends this reply back to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from somewhere else. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Do you hear Mordecai's confidence in God? Mordecai's like, you know what, Queen Esther? God's going to deliver us. I know God's going to deliver us because I trust God and my faith is in the Lord. Amen. And that's what Mordecai, he's living that life and he knows that completely. And he even knows that God's done the work because he's seeing the queen in her place. And then he's saying, and no queen, in the event that you can't open your mouth, God's still going to deliver us. The question is, are you going to be a woman of integrity? Are you going to speak up because God has a message for you to speak? And that's what we're asked in our lives. Do we realize that we were created to tell the truth? That text is so often quoted for such a time as this. Let's remember what the text is about. It's about speaking the truth. It's not about saying, oh, I should get this job for such a time as this I was created. It doesn't tell us that. Oh, God hasn't told you that you should marry me. Well, he told me that you should marry me for such a time as this I was created. Yeah, I heard that one used one time too. Didn't go very well for that person. You can't just take scripture and manipulate it into our situations. But when we're in those moments in life when we realize that we have a message and we need to speak, that's what God is saying and that's what God's saying to the queen. If you ever have the opportunity... And you can go to Washington, D.C. to visit the Holocaust Memorial. Remember, as I said, during World War II, the Jewish people who were being persecuted and losing their lives were looking at the story of Esther, knowing that God was going to deliver them. But there were others who were involved or not involved with what was going on in Nazi Germany. 
There are people like Corey Tenboom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer who were doing the right thing. And then there were others, like a guy named Pastor Martin Niemöller, who sat it out for a while. And then later found his voice and has one of the most famous quotes to come out of World War II. And if you go to the Holocaust Memorial, there's a big wall, and it's a dark room, and the light's on the wall, and you simply read his quote. And people stand there and read it because it is so powerful. First, he said, they came for the socialists. And I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. That's Mordecai's message to Esther. Esther, we have voices. We are truth-tellers here. God created us to be people of integrity. God calls us at times to realize that we are in certain places because we do need to speak up and we do need to find our voice. And if the text ended there, we would all run out and we'd probably all get ourselves into trouble because we'd all be fired out And we'd all be thinking, oh, that means I again have to address everything. But remember, we said that's not true. It takes wisdom to know when we are only keeping an argument going versus when we're giving a perspective that needs to be given. And that's why I like to think that Esther chapter 4 has a PS on it. Now, I know that the world has changed, and maybe none of you remember this, but we used to have this stuff called paper. Anybody remember this stuff? We used to have envelopes too. Anybody ever, some people have them around, like, and children like my grandchildren will say, what's that, Grandpa? Oh, that's something from a former time, the dark ages. We had stamps also. And we'd take our paper and we would write notes to each other and we'd fold them and we'd put them in an envelope, we'd put people's address and we'd put a stamp on it and we'd mail them. Anybody remember that? Any, any hands here? Okay. I thought, I thought it wasn't completely gone yet. And sometimes when we would write our letters, we would put at the end, after we signed it, P.S. It meant postscript. But a postscript was something else. It meant everything else you read was important, but this is really important, and I want you to know this is important. So Stan and Regina were dating, and I'd write my letters to her, and then I'd put, P.S., I love you. Do you know what that meant? I don't care if you didn't hear anything else, but honey, I want to know I love you. That's a point of a PS. This is for emphasis. I believe that Esther chapter 4 has a PS. PS. If you're going to understand that you and I were created for truth, if we're going to realize that God has a call on our life, PS, assemble your prayer team. Hear me loud and clear? Not me talking. This is the Word of God, and we're going to see it in the text. When you're facing tough things, when you're facing situations that you need to have a conversation, or you don't know if you should have the conversation, you and I better have trusted Christian friends that we can speak to, who can speak truth back to us, who can pray for us, who can be our prayer team when we go and we speak up and we have our conversations. Or when we learn to say it's time to let it go and move on. Verses 15 through 17. 
P.S. Then Esther sent this reply. Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, notice, once we prayed about this, we haven't even eaten. We have sought God for three days. Then, though it is against the law, I'll walk in and I'll see the king. If I must die, I'll die. So Mordecai went and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. Esther assembled her prayer team, and she didn't go it alone. The day she walked in before the king, she had a 1,000 or 10,000 people praying for her, and she knew that she was a voice of the people, but the people were behind her. She knew that Mordecai wasn't just setting her up, and she knew that the people who she cared about, the people who were closest to her, were with her and praying for her. Folks, if you're going to go into a tough Thanksgiving this year, and your family was ripped apart last year at Thanksgiving, who's praying for you before Thanksgiving? If you're seeing something on social media that's really bothering you, and yet you just can't get it out of your mind, and at 3 o'clock in the morning you wake up and you think, well, I'm going to put this post out there, and they're going to see it in the morning, and it's going to change everybody's opinion. Who are you talking to and praying for before you do this? You see, God invites us to pour our heart out before him. And far too often, we think we can go it alone. We think somehow that we are these lone rangers who are created to do all this stuff, and then we cause damage, and we cause hurt, and we go, how did I do that again? I know. Every sermon has a story for North Dakota. 40 years in running. Next year, I'll preach one that I don't refer to my home state. Probably not. I was a kid, I learned to drive my car. And in North Dakota, we have dirt roads. Most of the roads are dirt. If anybody followed our trip that we went out to the Dakotas, my hometown now has paved roads. It's weird, because it was all dirt roads when I grew up. And out in the country, it was all dirt roads. It was very, very little paved. And the roads are big, and I just call them big mounds like that. So you come along the prairie, and they're big and high with huge ditches. And they're dirt. And my father and I were driving, my first year that I was driving a car, and we were driving out in the country, and it had rained, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, that mucky stuff all happened. My dad used to say the roads turned into gumbo, and my car started spinning around, and it went right off over the ditch and stopped. Sort of like a Hollywood movie at that point. My dad and I got out of the car, and now the car started just inching over, and it was going to go down this big ditch. And I did what every crazy young North Dakota kid did. I ran in front of the car and thought I could hold it up, and my father screamed at me and said, get out of there, and pulled me aside. And he said, Stan, you need to learn what you can do alone, but you need to learn when you've got to ask for help. You don't think you can hold up a car that's going over a ditch or you're just going to get crushed under it. The car went into the ditch. We walked over to a farm. The farmer came out, brought out a tractor chain and everything and pulled the, the car out of the ditch. That's like difficult conversations, folks. Sometimes there are cars going over a ditch and we think we can hold it up. And we think we can do it all by ourselves. And the text says Esther didn't. She brought in her prayer team. 
She brought in her support system. She asked people to be the prayer people behind her. So she knew by the time that it was ready for her to have that conversation that there were people with her and she wasn't going it alone. It got me thinking, ironically, about something that's happening in our community as I was doing my message this week. There's a church that's from Plymouth that's been meeting over in Kingston that's trying to build their new property here in Plymouth. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing on social media and I'm seeing signs that aren't true. House, yes, check mark. Church, no. Read on all things Plymouth. People saying things like, we have too many churches in town. We don't need more churches. And I thought, whoa, this is a spiritual fight, folks. This is spiritual warfare. We're living in a community where people are saying, we don't need a church in this town. Now, just so you know, this is America, and you don't get zoned churches. Remember separation of church and state? That means churches can go anywhere. We can be in industrial parks. We can be in neighborhoods. That's already been established in our country. A church is allowed to go in anywhere. That's what it means. That's part of what our religious freedom brings to us in America. But here's the interesting thing. I talked to my friend Neil Eaton. They have a prayer service every Friday at 1230. I'd like to invite our congregation to, if you can't be there, to pray every Friday at 12.30. To pray, Lord, change hearts. Now, having conversations, I did talk to somebody on the planning board in town, and board of selectmen, I've had those conversations too, and said, please remember, you know, if somehow in the town of Plymouth we start fighting churches coming in, all the Christians in town are not going to think very highly of that because this is still America and churches are allowed to be here. But here's the point. This is a battle of prayer. This is a battle of, do we stand together as Christians in this community and pray for each other? I had somebody who called me up who said, I don't even particularly like that church. I said, great, then you're the best person to speak in favor of the fact that we're going to pray that they're going to get their building. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what Esther was told. That's what she learned. There's a time for us to speak up, but there's a time for us to pray. There's a time for us to learn to support each other and to pray for each other. And when your friend is going through a tough time and they need to have that conversation or they need to face something at work or they're struggling, are you and I praying for them? And are we willing to call in others the same? We're looking at the Ten Commandments. They're not just ancient texts that were given thousands of years ago to sit in our Bibles and to watch Charlton Heston, see them carved in stone every once in a while. There are ways in which God wants us to live our lives. Why does truth matter? Because we were created to speak truth. And our society is going to mess it all up because we live in a fallen world. And when we live out of our fallenness, we will deceive, we will manipulate, our ego, ego will get there, we will ease God out and we'll do it our own way. Let's learn to be the people of truth. As our worship team comes forward, you may have a tough situation in your life. You may say, okay, but I need somebody to pray for me today. I have something I need to face. I invite you at the end of the service, I'm up here up front until the song ends, to come up during the song and have a prayer. We need to learn to be people of our word. We need to learn that Scripture teaches us how to live our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Help us to live out these commandments. Not to do it perfectly because they're not rules that we're going to get perfectly. That's why we have a Savior who gives us grace and forgiveness. But help us understand what your call and expectation is on our life and what it means to be more conformed to the image of Christ. Every single one of us has relationships that are tough for us. Sometimes they're at work, sometimes they're in our families, sometimes they could be with neighbors or things that just concern us. Help us to learn to live with such integrity that we're not living out of fear, but we're trusting in you. In Christ's name we pray.